I'm Victoria, and this podcast is all about running, marathon training, and run coaching. It is packed with useful tips to help you grow as a runner. I am a 13-time Boston qualifier and mom of two who started running as an adult. I learned a lot on my journey, and in 2014, I launched an online run coaching business to help other runners. Now, we employ several run coaches and are one of the largest online run coaching companies. We teach you the secrets to reaching your potential in the sport of running. We give real talk discussing personal stories of injuries, setbacks, and PRs. Think of this as a conversation with serial marathoners who share the lessons that we learned along the way. This is the Run for PRs podcast. Shoe rotations and carbon plated shoes. We did an episode a little over a year ago discussing how to find your perfect pair of running shoes. That was back in episode 90 if you want to take a listen to that before diving into this one. Today we are going to do a quick overview of how to find that perfect running shoe once again and then we're going to be discussing some of the faster racing shoes on the market and also how to add in a shoe rotation for different runs that you might do throughout the week. So you might have a different shoe for your workout days, for your easy days, and then for racing. So we'll talk about how to start that shoe rotation and things that you should be looking for. So to kick things off, we're going to start off with figuring out how to find the perfect pair of running shoe for you. And the first thing that you're gonna really want to look for is figuring out if you're in the right category of shoe. So I get a lot of messages on social media. People will say, what's your favorite running shoe? Or what shoe do you recommend for me? And I can't really answer that question because there are so many factors that really go into running shoes. And so this is gonna be a little bit more technical in terms of the content we're covering in this podcast, um, the first half, because we're gonna talk a little bit about the technical side of finding that running shoe. And then we'll go into how you can implement a shoe rotation and figuring out if carbon plated shoes are maybe right for you or not. So Jason, what are the three categories of shoes that you can find in the running world? Yeah, typically when you go into a running store, they'll sort of put you in one of the three categories. You're either a neutral runner, which means you have uh, little to no pronation, uh, which is kind of your ankle rotation. And then you could be in a stability shoe, which is pretty common for newer runners. These are people that have mild or moderate pronation. So a little bit of inward rotation when they, um, you know, from each step. Um, as their ankle and their foot lands, um, the ankle starts to roll forward just a little bit, or roll inward just a little bit, rather. Um, and then the third category is pretty uncommon. It's um, a motion control shoe. And I think over the years, the shoes have become a little bit more of like a, like a, um, I guess, a bulkier stability shoe. So I don't even know if they call them motion control anymore. But you can still be in that category where you are considered an overpronator. And so those would be people that when they... When they run, they're basically, you know, from heel to toe, they're having a lot of um, inward rotation. Right. So kind of starting off with, like, you're not really having a lot of rotation. That's more of a neutral shoe. Then if you do have some rotation, but it's not super extreme, we'll probably put you in a stability shoe. And then if you have 
like a lot of rotation, mm-hmm. maybe more of a motion control. And like you said, there's not really a lot that are made in the motion control category anymore. Um, it It's more either neutral or, or stability shoe. Um, and I think this is like a good time to, the first time I figured out that there were two different categories of shoes, it was really like mind blowing to me. Um, just because I learned that you could get an injury from running in the wrong type of shoe, right? So that's where that whole question of someone asking me what is the best running shoe um, can actually be a really difficult answer and we shouldn't necessarily just go off of what someone else is wearing. So what happens if you are placed in a stability shoe but you're not someone who is having that rotation? What would happen if someone who should be in a neutral goes into a stability shoe? Yeah, I'm, I mean, I think it'd be more problematic the opposite, right? If you need a stability shoe and then you're in a neutral because you're not getting that extra support that you need. So you might just be more susceptible to lower leg injuries, um, you know, shin splints, things like that. Um, but I guess the the opposite would be if you need the, um, if you need the stability shoe, um, or sorry, if you, if you need a neutral shoe, but you're in a stability, uh, I think that you know, I guess I don't know. I'm not, I'm not an expert, but I've talked to people at the running store and they said, you know, you could probably get away with training in this type of shoe if it's just very minimal. So if you don't do all your runs in the shoe, um, it'd be okay. But again, you might be susceptible to overcorrecting mistakes that aren't there. Right. And so that's really the the purpose of getting in the right shoe is that you want the shoe to sort of, um, kind of maximize what your feet or what your, your natural body economy isn't doing for you. And so if you're getting something extra that you don't need, I just don't think that it's going to be beneficial to your training. Um, and it may not feel as natural too. So, Yeah, like correcting an error that's not there is what really stuck out from what you were describing. So it's really important if you don't need a stability shoe to not be in one. And I know the owner of Run and Fun here in the Twin Cities, Perry, he basically said that if you're in a stability shoe and you don't need one, that can cause like knee problems, mm-hmm. hip problems, all sorts of problems because you're in a shoe that's making you run in a way that's supposed to be correcting an issue and if you don't even have that issue then you're like overcompensating and you're going to have a whole slew of other things that happen as a result of that so this is why it's really important to be in the right category of shoe um he also recommended that if you're like kind of borderline like in doubt oh do i need a stability do i need neutral it's better to go on the side of a neutral shoe so how would you figure out if you are someone who does this pronation how what's the best way to get assessed for this yeah i mean there's a couple different ways um you know if you go into a running store they should have enough knowledge to at least do like a basic kind of assessment so they might have you do a few balancing tests and look for like rotation or look for um, like knee rotation ankle rotation they may watch you walk and then do a jog as well and so they're kind of just watching for you know that inward rotation and seeing um, how stable you are with your feet Um, you know sometimes having flat feet versus higher arch versus medium arch that can play a factor too and so just kind of examining overall the person's uh, mechanics and then putting them in the shoe based on kind of hearing from their experiences and and observing what you see. Right. So going into a local running store is a great option. I think that's like the first 
um, thing that someone could do, but also we want to keep in mind that it depends on really like who is assessing you, right? So you want someone who has a history doing this, who's kind of more of an expert. Um, it, so it really depends on your running store and it depends on like who's really watching you run. Uh, personally, I always like to err on the side of caution and recommend more of like a gait analysis. So sometimes at running stores, they will have professionals that come in um, and do gait analysis. Other times you can go to a physical therapist's um, office and they will have someone that specializes in this. They'll maybe put something up on a video. I have gone to a podiatrist in the past because I've had a plantar fasciitis flare up. Um, and so they did a little gait analysis where really all I I did was kind of like run in place. It was very interesting technology that they have. So if possible, and you're able to utilize more of a professional route for a gait analysis and really get a more um, accurate reading in that way, there's so much technology out there where they can really like pinpoint and nail down mm-hmm. instead of relying on someone like watching you running. This actually can like measure the weight of your foot as you're running. So it's really cool. Um, and I recommend that, especially if you're someone who's having like reoccurring injuries, you're having foot issues, Achilles, like lower limb, even if you're having like hip issues, right? These all can be connected. And sometimes, um, your footwear is one of the things that you can do to change how your body is running. And then as a result, maybe be less prone to injury. So I think it's really important to be in that right type of shoe. So it is worth that investment of getting that gait analysis and getting that information. Um, so the next factor, once you know, are you neutral or do you need to be more in a stability shoe? You'd want to go to this heel toe drop. Um, and this is really an interesting thing. I don't think a lot of runners are super aware of what a heel to toe drop is. Um, I, I think I learned what this was like after I had qualified for Boston for the first time. So it's just, it's, it's a very interesting concept. And I think it's really important for people to be aware of what the heel to toe drop is, especially if you're someone who has had, you know, injuries, flare ups in the past. So Jason, tell me a little bit about the heel to toe drop and why, um, it kind of came on your radar after a couple of years being a runner. Yeah. You know, and I kind of want to share my story of when I first had my gait analysis, it was about 10 years ago for the first time. And, you know, I was a little skeptical at first because I had a marathon in three weeks and I was, I was unsure of, you know, should I change shoes? Right. But she put me in this shoe, this Nike Vimero, and it ended up being like so comfortable. And I went and ran a PR in the marathon. felt great, had no issues. Right. So then I, I bought into it. And I said, well, she must've known what she was doing. And, you know, she looked at everything like my my pelvic tilt and every little factor and you know she could tell me kind of the other benefit too of getting the gait analysis is not only getting the right category but they might be able to tell you what areas to strengthen like maybe it's your glutes your your um you know your low back whatever it is so they can help you pinpoint that and then based on you know explaining a little bit of your history your running experiences your mileage maybe injury history they can probably help you figure out what is the right drop for shoes for you Um, and for me, I kind of had a history of calf pain. So I was right. It was recommended that I don't wear a shoe with a really like low drop, which would be considered like zero to four millimeters. So they put me in sort of a, a higher number. So I made sure I was always like eight to 10. And so that just kind of helped me. Um, and so that's something I always look for now. And I always ask, uh, the specialists at the running store, um, when they bring out shoes for me to try on is, do you know the heel, the toe drop? And if they don't, that's a sign to me that. They maybe don't know enough about the shoe, so maybe I'll I'll uh, ask for someone, you know, speak to somebody else. But 
I'm confident that the running store that we go to, the the people working there, they always know. And that's the cool thing is they, they pretty much are experts about the shoe. They should be able to tell you about the cushioning system involved in the shoe, what the ratio is for heel to toe drop. Um, and so, you know, once you kind of get in your right zone, whether you find it be like a lower heel to toe or a, medium, a middle range number, which would be like five to eight, or a higher range number, which would be like eight plus or 10 plus, um, that is when... You can kind of try on shoes um, and figure out which one is more comfortable for you. Right. And that's such an interesting story. And I think sometimes when people hear stories like that, they'll be like, oh, okay, like you're, you know, you ran a sub three hour marathon. I'm just going to like do whatever you do. And in this case, it's like, no, we really want to look at like you as an individual and making sure we take into consideration like your history with like injuries, flare ups, that sort of thing. So you're someone that's really prone to like, calf injuries, Achilles injuries, um, that's really been the only sort of injury you've had the last like 20 years of your running career. So that's really important as to why you really have gone towards that higher heel to toe drop because it's taking less um, absorption on your calf when you're running. Um, So if you're someone who has like lower limb injuries a lot or flare ups like shin splints, Achilles, calf, those sort of things, maybe that higher heel to toe drop is really beneficial for you. Whereas like I'm on the other end of the spectrum, I'm someone who typically has more of like the upper leg um, flare ups. If I do, it'll be more of like a hip or a glute um, situation. And so I'm actually someone who can do like a zero drop shoe. I can do very low drop shoes. Um, and that is really just going to vary where the load of that impact every time you're hitting the ground, like where it goes, right? So if you're in like a lower heel heel to toe drop, it's going to be more pressure on that lower limb. If you're in a higher one, it's going to be a little bit more absorption on like the upper, upper leg. So it's just something really to keep in mind when you're shopping for a running shoe, um, because these little things it's not even really visible to the naked eye when you're looking at a shoe. You can't really see what the heel to toe drop is because of all the cushioning and stuff within the shoe. But researching that online, asking in the store, and then just experimenting, right? So let's say you don't really have any sort of injury experience. Maybe this is a time to ask like, hey, what do you recommend? And they're probably gonna go with more of like a middle level. Um, Whereas if you are someone that has had these injuries, going off of that and using that as a guide to see, okay, how do I respond to a lower drop shoe? How do I respond to a higher drop shoe based on whatever you've experienced in the past? So again, lower drop shoe is good for someone that hasn't really had a lot of Achilles calf issues in the past. Higher drop is going to be good for someone who has had calf Achilles lower limb um, injuries or flare-ups in the past yeah that lower you know the zero drop shoes for example that the thought there is that it's a little bit more natural so it's kind of like running barefoot you know um and so i think there's we can all probably get some benefit to doing some occasional running like that every now and then maybe just at strides for some people i know back in high school and college we would do barefoot strides a couple times a week and so um, yeah, I think that there's, there's benefits to having a, a couple different shoes and maybe across the categories just so that you're not, you know, running too much in the same. Um, but if you're like me, you really do need to be careful with how frequently you're running in a shoe, kind of like the alpha fly that only has like a four millimeter drop. Cause that's kind of low. 
So my everyday training shoe is going to be up higher around an eight to a 10. So, um, but yeah, I think you said a lot of good things there and, you know, getting into kind of the next part about the shoes, like about, you know, how do you know what type of shoe to run in, uh, or run your everyday mileage in versus like your workouts in versus your, your racing in. Right. And so, um, that's kind of where I like to have a few pairs to rotate. Yeah. And just one of the things that you mentioned about running in a lower drop shoe is more natural and how you did like the barefoot strides and stuff. I know maybe like a decade ago or a little bit before that, there was kind of a movement towards everyone should have like a low drop, no drop, um, the barefoot running situation, which is great. And I think that if your body can handle that, like maybe my body would be able to handle that because I'm maybe built where my lower limbs are naturally stronger. But I think the problem lies is when we have this like blanket one size fits all approach and we throw everyone in that same bucket and we expect that everyone's going to thrive off of that. It's just not really realistic. And just like anything, you need to do the progressive overload approach. So if you're someone who's always been in a really, um, really high heel to toe drop shoe and then we go and we put you in like a very minimalist shoe, you probably are going at flare-ups. And so that's why I liked how you said, you know, a few days a week I can get away with running in a more minimalistic shoe, but it's really important to be aware of how many miles you're putting on those shoes per week. And that's where things can start to get really tricky because I think as runners, when we first start running, we have like one pair of running shoes. It's the same pair. Uh, But then as you kind of advance into the sport, you see that oh, this runner is doing their workouts and races in like a faster shoe. And then on their easy days, they're running in a different shoe. And so there's that variation between two, three, four different shoes in your rotation. And it can be really hard to track like how many miles am I putting on each shoe. But I think that that comes into the second part of this podcast is where we're talking about having different shoes for different purposes. So when was the first time that you started training or running with more than one pair of shoes and how do you really start that transitionary period? Yeah, I think for me it was pretty much post-collegiately because in high school and college, you know, we had our trainers um, that we wore for everyday running and then we had like our spikes that we'd compete in, right? You'd wear spikes on the track or cross-country course. But after college, we started doing more road races and found that a lot of these runners had these racing flats and they just looked like more minimal type of shoe, you know, a lot lighter weight, less cushioning, all of that. And so that's kind of when I think I got my first pair of shoe, which I think was the Nike Streak XC back then it was called. Um, and so it, it was very lightweight and you felt really fast when you put those babies on. And so I think that um, that was kind of the first time I noticed it. And then as I started working at a running store part-time, I kind of got more familiar with the different brands and, and that other, you know, other companies offered. And then also the the cushioning systems that they use, right? Like ASIC uses gel and, and um, Nike uses air and that sort of thing. And so you kind of got to try on new shoes, figure out what felt right and how the weight and different, um, you know, uh, heel to toe drops, how that kind of felt on your foot. And so I think as I got closer to running my first marathon that's when I maybe started to purchase uh, a daily trainer and then maybe like a workout shoe and I just kind of rotated between the two I would only wear the racing flat for like a short race like a 5k road race 10k something like that Um, but for the marathon I would probably wear something that's more of like a just a, a workout shoe yeah there are just so many different workout shoes and easy running shoes and I think 
that can be one of the first things that runners want to do to get faster or as they progress in the sport is okay like let me do a shoe rotation like you said you saw people were racing and racing flats and I think now on the running scene right so if someone's coming on the running scene now going to marathons right now when you see like a bunch of people at the start they all are going to be wearing pretty much the same shoes right like these carbon plated shoes um one of the most popular being like the alpha fly um, pretty much anything nike that's carbon plated they all really look kind of the same to the naked eye and they they tend to have like those really bright pop colors like um, I know in the very beginning it was like that that orange the first year that they right. had it out. Um, well, first I think they did blue in like the spring of 2018, and then that fall um, in 2018 they had like that bright orange color. And I remember we did the CIM marathon, and I had never oh, seen yeah. so many runners wearing the exact same shoe because at the time that was like I believe the only carbon plated shoe on the market, mm-hmm. and it was really um a popular shoe and i remember the first time i tried it on i was like wow these these shoes are very they're fast right um so that is a shoe that's really popular right now so i think just naturally bringing it up in the conversation um is important so uh tell me a little bit about your experience with carbon plated shoes because i know um so they aren't really like a low like a super low heel to toe drop it's more of like a middle level Mm -hmm. um so do you personally enjoy the carbon plated shoes um what do you think about them versus like a traditional racing flat so you have a lot of experience in like those more traditional (laughs) racing flats lightweight shoes um and then like how does like a carbon plated shoe compare in your opinion i mean you like you said when they first came out the the you know what was that the four percent shoe that that one to me is still one of my all-time favorites because it's not like a super high stack height now you look at these alpha flies and they just look really bulky right and they still feel pretty comfortable and you can still feel like you're fast in them but i think yeah they've evolved over time and every brand now has their own and so i'll just quickly read a few um like adidas has a the adidas zero adios pro asics has a meta racer series uh, brooks has a hyperion hoka's got the rocket x new balance has a fuel cell um, and we know Nike and then Saucony, the Endorphin Pro. And so, you know, even Skechers has one. So all of these are carbon plated shoes, right? And yeah, they're all between like a four to a eight to a nine millimeter drop. And so, um, the weight too is also something to think about. They're pretty much all between like six to nine ounces. And so it's basically apples and oranges here. Um, the majority of them are in, within the seven ounce range. And so they're, as far as weight goes, it's, they're all going to be very similar. And so it comes down to really like comfort, right? and what feels the right what feels right um, on your foot and for me we kind of started with the nike series so it just kind of followed that as they came out with the next percents and then the um the alpha fly i think there's one in between there too right the, oh yeah there's yeah. so many <laughs> we've kind of just tried each one because we liked it right and so um that kind of has been my go-to racing shoe over the years and then as far as like getting a um like a workout shoe sometimes i'll wear those but other times i'll just wear like the nike trainer version of the alpha fly which right now is the um, Zoomfly 4. So it still has a carbon plate mm-hmm. in it, but it's got uh, a higher higher drop. So it's got eight millimeters instead of the, the Alpha Fly, which has a four. Um, and then sometimes I'll even just wear like the New Balance 1080s because that, I really like the feel of those just for everyday miles. Plate, no, or? it's not carbon plate, just oh. a regular shoe, but it's got a higher drop. And that's kind of why mm-hmm. I put that in there for my easy mileage. And so if I'm doing an easy run, a lot of times I'll wear that. If I'm doing something a little bit more quality, like a tempo or just a faster run, I'll use maybe the Nike next percents. But um, that's kind of an example of how I structure my, uh, I guess, my rotation of shoes. 
Yeah, I find that really interesting. Uh, just with the carbon plated shoes, a lot of people want to know, like, when when should I wear them? Like, can I wear them on workout days or mm-hmm. racing? So they are pretty expensive, right? If you're going to go out and buy a pair of Alpha Flies, I believe they're 250 maybe more. Yeah, they are. And a lot of times running stores, they, they maybe don't discount those carbon plated shoes like they would other shoes. Yeah. So another factor to think about. But um, I know the Endorphins is another example. You liked the Endorphin Speed for a while. I like the Endorphin Pro. Basically Sockety. the same. The Sockety yeah, Sockety carbon plated shoe. Yeah. One was a carbon plate, one wasn't, but they were basically the same shoe. Um, oh, right. One with the carbon plate. Yeah. I Honestly, I don't really feel... Personally, I didn't feel like that shoe was as as fast as like the Nike right. ones, and that's what's really interesting. Like I have the Hoka version, like Carbon X. I've mm-hmm. tried that as well, but for me, it's just I don't know the Nike one. It just seems like next level um, compared to some of the other ones I've tried. But you've tried some of them. Like what? How do you? Yeah, I mean, I think it just comes down to like the cushioning that Nike must use and then the way you just feel from heel to toe off and and push off. Like for me, I have the Rocket X. It's a Hoka shoe. It's, it's nice. I probably wear it for like a 5k. It doesn't feel like it's springy. Um, you know, and I know there's a guy that we follow on Instagram. He's a local Minnesotan, Mm -hmm. uh, Ben Johnson, and he's got, you know, um, tons of reviews on his Instagram from all the different brands because he, I think he's got, I don't know, he, he tries them all. And he's so a shoe guy. He's a shoe guru. <laughs> and so it's really interesting to hear what he has to say. Um, but yeah, I think it just kind of comes down to like what you put on your feet and how you feel. Go well, run around in them. You and, follow him closely. Like what has been, you probably noticed, like what he tends to wear. Because I mean, he is try. I mean, if you go to this guy's Instagram, yeah. he has a wall of shoes. So he will just buy or I think at this point like the running shoe store locally kind of has partnered with him but he has so many shoes so it's like he's tried almost everything and And obviously it's just one person in his personal opinion but I find it interesting so like does he what's like this the first brand that he recommends and then like secondary you know that's a good question I feel like he he's a big alpha fly guy but he also he's tried like brands people probably never heard of right uh like ultra or um He's tried Noble, stuff like that. And I think that um, the more you try, maybe you, you get a sense of like what, what I like, what feels good and all right. that. I haven't even tried a lot of these. Like I was talking about the Asics, like Meta Racers and the Brooks Hyperion. Haven't even tried those on. So again, they could be comfortable, um, but I kind of don't like to fix what's not broken. I kind of just right. go with what I like. Um, but I'm always willing to try on like a new pair of just like training shoes because for everyday mileage, you know, you're running about 80% of the time in just everyday shoes. So it's nice to have a few different uh, variety of options there. Right. Yeah. So I love the carbon plated shoes. I've said that a few times on this podcast, um, using them. I personally will use them for workouts and for racing. Um, maybe, you know, you could reserve the, the alpha fly, like the king of all right. fast marathon shoes just for race day um just because they don't last very long so i know when they first came out with that four percent nike they said that it, the shoe only lasts i don't know how many miles um but not a lot and so when you're looking at that price tag of 200 plus dollars for a pair of shoe that only is going to last you i don't know say 200 miles that's why a lot of people choose to save them for race day also, people like to have that extra edge on race day. So you want to have that like extra whatever. I personally just like to train in shoes that make me feel fast too. So I, I use them on um, workout days. But 
you know, just going off of the Nike, it sounds like you kind of are more familiar with the different names and like what level of carbon plating there are. I get a lot of messages about, oh, should I try the Vaporfly, Alphafly, Next Percent, this, like, I honestly am not really aware of the differences between the different shoes. So if someone who's never really tried carbon plated before wanted to, like, try one of the the Nike carbon mm-hmm. plates that's not, like, the crazy Alphafly, what, what should they start off with, do you recommend? Yeah, you know, going to the running store... Hopefully you know kind of your category of shoe, right? Like like neutral. And most of these are going to be neutral. And that's the thing about racing is the thought is if we're running faster, we're hopefully going to be kind of maximizing our body's mechanics. We won't need as much of a stability during racing. Um, so you get your you get the right category or the right maybe heel to drop ratio. Um, you know, like the Alpha Fly, it's got a really low drop. And so you maybe want to start with something a little bit higher. I know the training shoe, the Zoom Fly 4, that's got a carbon plate in it. And it's, I think, an eight millimeter drop. And I, I do a lot of my everyday miles in that shoe. I think it feels very good. So that would be a good shoe to maybe start with. Um, there could be other brands as well. Um, the thing with all of these carbon plated shoes is I like to do reviews. I like to go on to this uh, website, the Running Shoe Guru. Um, I'll also use Running Warehouse because they have a good um, kind of breakdown of each shoe. It'll tell you like the stack height, the heel, the toe drop, the weight. And I just like to compare that, right, as I'm doing my shoe shopping. And some of the terminology all these brands use just to give you a few examples would be like energy returning foam or light and bouncy or um, secure fit uh, breathable mm-hmm. mesh zoom x foam light springy snappy responsiveness so kind of just figuring out you know what what is it about each shoe that you really like and when you put on the shoe does it make you feel like you want to kind of just go out and run like strides or do like a fast race and so for me that's kind of what it's about um but if it's your first sort of experience moving into this category, I would, you know, try something that is very um, minimum, uh, very kind of in the medium range in terms of like uh, stack height and drop and all of that. Yeah, that's a good point. Just starting with something that's just more on like that entry level mm-hmm. before moving up to Alpha Fly, because I know a lot of people like Coach Megan, for example, she's like a 244 marathoner. And the first time she tried on the Alpha Flies, because they gave them to her at the Olympic trials for mm-hmm. free. She was like, I hated them. Like, it felt like I was um, running or walking on, like, clouds or, like, um, yeah, moon, like moon shoes. Yeah, like stilts or something. Yeah, like yeah. a spring stilt. Um, I also have a friend who is, like, a 305, gosh, I don't know, 305 marathoner. She, when the carbon-plated ones first came out, just the 4%, like, the first ones, she oh. tried them, hated them. She was like, I, I just don't understand. Spongy. They're, it's, like, yeah. spongy. I can't run fast in them. And she just didn't wear them and at first I thought oh maybe she's not wearing them because she like thinks it's quote-unquote cheating or it's like using this new technology and I know there are some people who have been running it's typically people who've been running for a long time they I don't know I think they think um this new technology it's it's does something right it's doing something um, and I don't want to say that it's cheating cause like, obviously it's not, but I think there are some people who believe that maybe it is. And I don't know if part of that is like their glory days are behind them and they just really wish that they would have had a pair of carbon plated shoes back in the day. But I also think there are some people who are frustrated by it just in general, because you go to pretty much any race and like everyone's wearing them. And for someone who maybe doesn't like the shoe or for someone who, doesn't like the idea of the shoe it can be frustrating because you want to like have a competition where 
um, everyone's like on that equal playing ground. And if they don't want to participate in getting these carbon plate issues, they feel like maybe they're at a disadvantage. Um, because technically, the, you know, when Nike came mm-hmm. out with the, the 4%, they claimed you're 4% more efficient or like 4% faster or whatever. That was like right. kind of their marketing campaign. And so a lot of people were like, oh my gosh, like, is this a magic shoe that's just going to magically make me 4% faster? And so I think it's really important to look at um, the technology, right? And so a few studies have shown that the carbon plate itself is not responsible for the changes in efficiency. Um, but one study put different size carbon plates, like different thicknesses in shoes, and it resulted in no change in the flexion of ankle joints or muscle activation in the feet or legs. So they don't really contribute to any improvement um, in running economy, but it's more about the foam with the carbon plates. Um, There's just a lot of different studies that they've been trying to do to figure out if, Mm -hmm. if it's cheating or not. And I think that comes to a really interesting conclusion of the World Athletic Association. So tell me a little bit about um, the indoor track or outdoor track. I'm not really sure um, with the banning of the shoes. I think it was just a stack height. Like the shoes had to be below a certain stack height because uh, they thought that it just helped, you know, kind of like you said, propel the runners forward and go faster. Uh, but I think, you know, I don't even, I haven't even followed it because uh, the shoes have gotten so. Yeah, the technology's just taken over. So I don't even know what's in, like, the new spikes, the, the new Nike spikes that are out. But um, I just know, like, whatever your s- kind of stance is on the whole carbon-plated, um, you know, topic, you know, over the years, runners have gotten faster um, due to probably multiple factors, right? It's not just the shoes. It could be it could be just the knowledge of, like, training, right, and how social media and the Internet allows more it's just a source for more knowledge right and more resources that way um it could be the extra motivation people get right it could be yeah it could be going to races and seeing the shoes and then trying them on and helping you know it helps you feel faster because i know if you think that you're going to run faster you probably will right and so confidence is part of it as well so mm-hmm. all of these factors i think lead to the increase in times that we see and i know like the last olympic trials more right. males and females uh, had run that qualifying time than ever before, and that's kind of why the times increased for the next Olympics, Olympic trials. Um, so yeah, at, at that level, maybe it, it does do something, um, a slight amount, like it gives right. you that extra edge where you can run maybe, even if it's like three to five seconds per mile, I guess that does add up over the course of the marathon distance. But um, yeah, I think the, the studies are going to only continue, and it'll be really interesting to see how they all unfold. Yeah, it's just really interesting with what happened in 2018, um, like right after they released it, right? And so then that fall going into marathons, I think there were some stats that came out around that time. Um, I just remember a lot of buzz on social media, people being like, how did this many women and men qualify at CIM this year? Mm -hmm. Um, And it's like, we were there. We saw everyone had the the shoes. And so part of it was like, oh, are these the shoes? And it's like, we'll never really know because there are so many factors that go into it right so it could be there were more people there it could be that times are getting faster because people are more people are in the sport of running more people are training harder Um, there could be so many other Mm -hmm. factors that are really coming into play here and so I think we're just at this time of running boom right so we have the great technology we have the great shoes we have supplements we have things like inside tracker that maybe weren't around you know Right. a decade ago or really weren't being utilized even like five years ago i knew the inside tracker was a thing but i really don't think it's that popular nowadays 
we get emails in the inbox almost every day. People are like, yeah, I did inside tracker. It's, it's just like more common. People are using it. And I think at the elite level, right, you're trying to do everything you can to get faster. And so you're utilizing like all these different technologies, whether mm-hmm. it's fueling, using inside tracker, getting all of these things in addition to the shoes. There's just so many more technologies available. And I think it's just important to realize that there's a lot of things that can lead to that success. And I think any little thing that's going to give you that extra edge, like you said, like two, three seconds per mile, um, they're going to go for it, right? You're going to use the shoes that make you feel fast, whatever that you train in, and the best technology on the marketplace um, to run those fast times. So I think they're really a good technology to utilize, right? We live in a time where we have access to them. So if you can afford them, like, hey, why not? Um, try them and really a lot of people will be like oh they're so expensive but in other sports like that's really not a lot right. investing 250 for a pair of shoes like once every two months or whatever um it's not it's not as expensive as like say the sport of triathlon where you can drop like 10 grand on a bike <laughs> very true you know and i think all the brands have sort of leveled the playing field too with with offering a couple types of carbon plated shoes and i i think it was maybe the last Olympics that I saw that they put like the top finishers for male and female and and what shoes they were wearing you know because a lot of them are sponsored by a certain brand so they have to wear that shoe and I don't think that it, there was like an over um there wasn't like an abundance of like Nike Alphaflies like there were other shoes mixed in there so I know that Asics, Adidas they all offer them and and people run fast so it's not just about like one type of shoe um but i think as a whole yeah shoes are evolving just like the technology like garmin garmin especially i'm sure has helped people run faster right like goal setting knowing their pacing um kind of reflecting that to like rpe and all that the heart rate and so just helping train smarter and um yeah i like how you brought up the inside tracker too because that for a lot of people that don't know that's just um you know getting uh, it's a way to get your blood work drawn and and checking for certain biomarkers and deficiencies that you may have and then you can supplement to help improve those numbers and so when you learn more about your body and all of the the makeup that goes into your training i think that um, you're able better to able to maximize your performance yeah and i do find it really interesting like molly seidel she is um like one of the fastest marathoners right she got she third of the Olympics. Okay. she's sponsored by puma oh yeah puma yeah, so, yeah, I mean, she must wear their shoes, um, mm-hmm. which is interesting, right? So I think that's... Somebody with Skechers, too, and I think, well, I think Karagelter was. Or, right. Um, but, yeah, or, or Meb was. He was Skechers. But, yeah, so... Um, so, right, so you can be one of the fastest. Right, you can earn, you know, a, be super fast and not necessarily part- partake in wearing the, the Nike shoes because, again, it's about, like, who you're sponsored by. So a lot of these people will go... Um, right. run super fast. They're not, like, even really allowed. I mean, I don't really... I haven't really paid attention to, like, what is allowed. But I know that sometimes you're you're there, and the people who are sponsored by, like, Hoka, like, you have to wear right. Hoka, whatever it may be. Yeah, Nazo um, Eat, they're Hoka. Yeah, so it's like you can still run really fast. You don't need to have, like, the old... And what everyone's wearing. If you're married to, like, one specific brand just because you really like the company, like, let's say you really like Brooks, right? Like, you could try the Brooks uh, Hype, Hyperion Elite shoes and then if you want like the trainer version of that you could get like the glycerin or something and so i think um you know if you really do like the one brand you can find the shoe that you need that's within that brand but um if you're like me i kind of i like trying more brands just because it's nice to see you know what feels right on your feet so right yeah and then it's also important to note that like just because we like nike doesn't mean it is the best right like i have a lot of friends that like don't they don't like the alpha flies they don't like any of the nike carbon plated shoes so 
just because a lot of people like the carbon plated doesn't mean that it's like right for you, right? And so you can kind of go back to maybe something that's more lightweight, something that's a little bit more traditional of like a speed work shoe. So you'd have your easy day shoe, you'd have that speed work lightweight shoe, and then you have like a racing flat. Um, and none of those have to be carbon plated, right? Or all of them can be if, if you want to go crazy. Um, but I personally find that like my legs maybe fatigue a little bit less when I'm using like the alpha fly I think maybe because there's more cushioning and so that's something really to keep in mind when you're trying to find a running shoe um, and you're trying to maybe run higher mileage having something that's a little bit more cushioned that can even be something like the the Hoka Clifton um, it doesn't have to be like a carbon plated shoe um, cushion can be something that really helps your legs feel better if you're doing maybe higher mileage or if you are um, just someone who just feels like maybe hey my legs they just feel really trashed <laughs> like while running obviously that could be a training error but sometimes throwing in a more mm -hmm. cushioned shoe to the mix can help yeah especially if you're training kind of higher mileage or half marathon marathon and you're just going to be doing a lot of like medium long runs i think having a high cushion shoe is good to have part of your rotation just to kind of take off some of that the wear and tear in your body um and so yeah i've really i've really liked learning about the different shoes but also just like trying on new shoes and then um, a lot of a lot of the frustrations I've had over the years is like I find a really good pair of shoes that I like and then they either discontinue it or they change it from model to model. Has that happened to you where oh, yeah. like, oh, my gosh. like oh all of a sudden it feels way different now and then it's you horrible. kinda have to go find a different shoe. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's something to keep in mind, right? So if you're someone that like loves your trusty like Brooks Ghost or whatever, they could come out with a new model and all of a sudden like you hate it. And that's kinda what happened to me, right? Um I used to be a Brooks Ghost through and through like I even raced like marathons in it. Um, they, they switched it. I mean, it was probably seven years ago mm -hmm. now, but I was just like, I can't wear these anymore. Um, and maybe, you know, there's a lot of factors that go into that. It could also be like, maybe you just kind of graduated from the shoe. Like maybe your body needed something different that's at true. that time. And I think that's really important to keep in mind, right? So I've kind of gone through phases throughout my running career. Uh, Brooks Ghost used to be like a staple. And now when I try on a Brooks Ghost, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I ever used to run in this. And same with maybe like your Nike Vermeros that you said that you loved for that one marathon. I bet if you... I did graduate from those shoes. Yeah, yeah. I went back for gait analysis a few months later and then she put me in something a little bit like less of a shoe, more right. flexible. And um, yeah, the two shoes that come to mind for me were the, the Canvaras. They changed those oh, yeah. one year and I think we both had a pair and then we didn't like the new like version. We're done. Yeah. And then the Nike, uh, I think it was called Zoomfly Flyknit. Those are like my ultimate favorite pairs of shoes and then they, they discontinued them and they started making more like next percents. And mm -hmm. so now I think they have the Zoomfly 4. Those are very kind of similar, but they're not the same. And so, yeah, it's don't ever get too married to a pair of shoes, but, mm. um, or if you do, just uh, buy a bunch of buy a bunch of them and stock up so you have them for a few years so right yeah that i mean that did really happen with that nike i think that was like the last we both loved them. yeah yep. the last type of shoe that wasn't carbon plated that i was like i love this shoe for speed work um but now i'm i don't even know what is the they came work? out the same time the four percents did and okay. they were like the training the version training of that version shoe of the zoom fly flying it yeah they were they were nice. Yeah, they were a nice shoe. And that's the thing is, over the years, you might change what shoes that you like. And so that's why it's really good to know what category you're in, to know um, kind of what weight and what type of shoe. And so sometimes what I'll do, like let's say they stop making the shoe, or let's say like I feel kind of I'm over the shoe, like it's been too many years. I'll go into the, <laughs> the shoe store and be like, okay, these are the shoes that I love. I love this and I love this. Tell me a shoe yes. that's super similar. And so they, they love it. They when get excited in, about yeah, it. They're, they're like, like I think you're going to like this one. And they bring out like five boxes, right? Right. 
Right. And it's interesting because some of them are like totally a miss. Like you're like, what? And then others you're like, okay, yeah, like let's, let's try this one. And that's really how you figure out like what, what shoe works for you is it's just like more trial and error. Um, and sometimes you buy a shoe that you think you're going to like in the running store. Like you'll be like, yep, this is it. And then you just kind of do a few runs in it and you're like, eh, it's kind of like a lackluster. And so you go back the next month or two months later and be like, yeah, tried this shoe, wasn't a huge fan, but here's like my feedback. And they can kind of put you in something that's similar. And they get a lot of this feedback from a lot of runners. It's kind of like their job. Um, So they know what- And they get the feedback right back to the the shoe companies. I know they do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And um, you know, some of the stores, they'll allow you to maybe do a few test runs in the shoes, like if Mm -hmm. you don't go outside with them. So if you stay on the treadmill and then if you didn't like them, you could return them, but- um, yeah, I think, and that's part of the fun too. I know sometimes if running just kind of, you get stuck in a rut, you're not very motivated, get a new pair of shoes and that can kind of re, re-spark your excitement for running again because if you feel a little bit faster in them or you kind of like the look of them better, you might be more willing to put them on and just lace them up and go out for a run. Right, and I think this is an important to note too. So I usually get the same shoes like every time. I know what I want, but if I have time and I'm going in the running shoe store anyways, I'll just, you know, for whatever reason, just so that I know what what's kind of out there in the market, I'll ask like, hey, can I try on something that's similar to XYZ? And so I'll just like try a few and I probably won't buy them, but at least you kind of know what's out there. Because if mm-hmm. you go, let's say five years with the same exact shoe rotation forever, then all of a sudden they, they change the model and you hate it and you can't get a pair of that shoe. It can be like a frantic panic where you're like, oh my gosh, my running's over. Like I need to try on every single pair of shoes. And what you might realize is when you're trying to find the replacement for that shoe, you're not going to find what you are really looking for. So I think it's good to maybe get like a feel and try some of these experiments before you come to this crossroads where they like stop making your shoe that you love or when you just realize like you hate the shoe. Um, That's why I like to throw them in just even when things are going great, right? Like I I know Mm -hmm. what type of shoes I like right now, but sometimes I just, I throw one in. And sometimes people will notice on social media, they're like, do you love that shoe? And I'm like, no, actually I don't. (laughs) So, and then it turns into like my walking shoe. Um, But I've done that over the years where you just kind of get a feel for things. Maybe like once or twice a year, you just buy a random pair of shoes that you think you might like and you don't end up liking, but that's how you learn, right? Trial and error, experimenting, um, figuring out what's out there, those sort of things. And then you have like your main shoes in your rotation that you can just, you know, your rusty trusties, whatever. Yeah. A yeah. lot of good points. And, um, I know I've done that too with, with shoes that I, <laughs> I don't really love to run in. So I just kind of use them as walking shoes or, um, sometimes I like more cushion in my walking shoes just cause I'm on my feet a lot. So, um, that's something, you know, to think about too is, you don't always have to walk in your running shoes and vice versa. So right. you, can have specific, you can have different shoes for each. Well, and then each. once you like retire a pair of shoes, I think that's something that a lot of people ask me too. Like, what do you do like when you're done with your pair of shoes? And so like Ben Johnson, the guy on Instagram, he will like have a wall of shoes. But um, obviously like even with that, he's going to get more shoes. Like what does he do with them? And so you can donate them. Usually like local running stores will have a place where you can like drop them off. Um, but I like to retire my running shoes immediately after 
as walking shoes, right? So even like a vapor fly, right? So let's say I'm like done running in it. Um, maybe I'll start using it as like an easy day shoe sometimes, or like, I don't know, I'll use it till it's pretty much done. And then it might turn into like a walking shoe. So like walking around Disney world this year, like I had, you know, like vapor flies that were like super old, but it's like, Hey, it works. Um, and then kind of once you're, you're done with the shoe, let's say you don't want to walk around in vapor flies cause that's kind of weird. Uh, you, you might just donate them to the running store. Um, you could also like contact, uh, like a local you know, cross country or college cross country and just be like, hey, like I have these shoes, does anyone that size? Like I have like a whole bag full. And I know when you used to coach, that's what we used to do. We used to just like bring in the shoes yeah. for the kids. And like you think that's kind of weird and no one's going to like it. But honestly, like There's if you're- programs oh, in yeah. inner city schools that, that would accept donations. Like oh that, yeah. For sure. And they actually use them. And so mm -hmm. I think that was really cool is like when you worked uh, in the Minneapolis school district and you coached there, like we would bring in the shoes and I would see that the kids were wearing like my shoes and I was like, oh, that's really cool. And, and they said they loved them and stuff. So they can always have like a second life and donating them is, is always a good route to go. Yeah. And if you're, if this is kind of a new concept, like you're not used to going in trying on new shoes, you know, sometimes it can be hard to know, like, do I, do I take the chance and buy these shoes or, you know, do I really like these? It's hard to know. Right. So just, just walk in them. And if they feel pretty comfortable, um, you know, and, and just go with kind of one or one over the other. Just try to make it simple. Don't overthink it. Um, you know, if, if you try it out for a period of three months or not, you didn't like it, you can always try the other pair next time. But um, I know that that was, for me, that was kind of something I thought of when we brought this up was when I moved out of like the Asics, the 2100 series, that's kind of what I wore throughout high school and college. Um, and I first tried, I think it was, I think it was Saucony or Brooks. I moved into like maybe the Brooks Adrenaline. It just felt kind of weird and so just know that that's kind of normal and i think the more you do rotate shoes or try on new brands that it's going to feel less less awkward each time definitely yeah and i think this podcast has been really helpful for people with their running shoes and if you're ever interested in more of like okay i want more training right and less of like the running shoe stuff because sometimes people they know what type of running shoes they want or they they get a lot of benefit from this type of content but at the same time it's like you have to still do the training you have to still be training specifically for what distance you are trying to hope to achieve your goals in and so running shoes will only get you so far right so you could buy the carbon plated shoes but if you don't put in the work you're not going to be able to get that extra benefit from it. So if you're ever interested in having a free seven day trial with specific training and one-on-one -on -one coaching with an expert coach, we'd love to get you set up with a free seven day trial. You can fill out the form at www.runforprs.com and we can get you set up. So again, that's www.runforprs.com for a free seven day trial working with a coach. Thanks for tuning in.